Hi, welcome to Diversity in D. I'm your host, Anna, and this is my co-host. That's all I Today we're going to be covering the Purple Gang. The story of Detroit's most notorious mob, the Purple Gang, in the 1910s and 1920s, organized crime ruled many large cities in the United States, including Detroit. Three years before the national probation, Michigan adopted the Demon Act, prohibiting the sales of liquor, which took effect in 1917. By the time of the rest of the country entered probation in 1920, Detroit already had taken was already taken over by bootleggers and hijackers. The Purple Gang was Detroit's most notorious mob. It operated in the 1920s and 1930s, led by members of the Bernstein family. The gang was made up of mostly Jewish members. The Canadian border provided a gateway to illegal distributors uh, of alcohol products from Detroit to larger cities like Chicago and New York. The Purple Gang, also known as the Sugar House Gang, had been labeled the, the bloodiest gang of its era, with, estim with estimates reaching more than 500 rivals killed during the, boot during the bootleg wars. The Purple Gang controlled Detroit's underworld, including gambling, especially on horse racing and other sporting events, liquor sales, and drug trades. Those operations kept the gang rich, netting millions of dollars. In 1929, making and distributing illegal alcohol with Detroit's number two industry behind automotive automobiles. By the mid-20s, the city was home to more than 25,000 illegal speak, speakeasies. speakeasies, which are also called bling pigs, where they're so alcohol beverages when alcohol was illegal, most of them controlled by the Purple Gang. The industry generated more than $300 million per year, which translated to more than $4 billion in today's economy. When bootlegging in Detroit smuggled booze into the city, they relied on frozen lake shore, stopping, income, stopping incoming vehicles, carrying booze at gunpoint, killing the drivers, and stealing their loads became a signature of the Purples. The Purple Gang had many allies with other mob operations across the country. A. Bernstein, one of the gang's founders, worked closely with Meyer Linsky and Joe Adonis. Linsky, known as the mob's accountant, helped develop the National Crime Syndicate in the United States with Lucky Luciano. The Purple Gang also had business partnership with Al Capone for several years. They supplied Capone organ organization with Canadian whiskey. Capone did not want the turf war with the Purple Gang, given their violent reputation, so a partnership put them in a place to prevent a massacre. Since the gang since the gang profited from Detroit's laundry industry unions, they had Vest, they had vested, interested, and vastly interested in keeping union members in line. Between 1925 and 1928, the labor union for laundry service were 
gang control. Companies that declined to join the union were harassed and bombed by the Purples. The Cleaners and Dryers War ended in 1928 when nine members of the Purple Gang were charged with extortion. They all were acquitted of all charges. The Purple Gang had most had most completed immunity from police due to fear of retaliation. That didn't stop FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover from trying. Files obtained from FBI shows that between 1933 and 1945, Hoover continuously investigated tips on the whereabouts of the Purple Gang. The files include written letters to the Bureau office offering evidence and other information to illegal activities of the Purples, including murder, kidnapping, and bootlegging. Tensions began to rise in the late 1920s between the Purple Gang, the rival Italian, and Irish mobs. The Purple Gang started a turf war with Lacavoli 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 squad in March of 1927 three men were killed in an apartment owned by the purple gang the attack was believed to be retaliation for a double cross although the police had three suspects nobody was ever charged in those murders in 1931 three members of the purple gang was murdered by by their own after a legend portraying betraying gang members after being invited to a peace conference at an apartment on Collingwood Avenue in Detroit. Herman, Jaime, Paul, Joe Sputker, and Joseph Lebowski was gunned down at Point Blank Rage. As the, as the story goes, Ray Bernstein, one of the Purple Gang's founder, devised a plan to kill the three men for failing to pay back past debts. He would use Sol Levine, a friend of both groups, as an accomplice. After buying the apartment at the Collingwood Manor Apartments, Bernstein convinced Levine that purple that the Purples were partnering with the three men in a liquor business. The meeting was set for September 16, 1931. The men arrived, and after... Some conversation. Bernstein waited in the gateway in the getaway car. Harry Fletcher was was killed, stood up and killed all three men. Levine watched it all unfold helplessly. The four members of the gang, Bernstein, Keywell, Milberg, and and Fletcher Fletcher fled the scene, leaving Sol Levine as the only eyewitness. Police questioned Levine until until he confessed to seeing the murders and telling the police who did it. After Levine confessed, the police received an anonymous tip informing them where, where the Collingwood shooters were. Heavily armed police invaded the area located at 2649 Calvert and arrested Bernstein and Keywell in their pajamas. They arrived. They arrested Irvin Milberg the following night after he tried fleeing the city. And in the end, Milburn, Keywell, and Bernstein were convicted of first-degree murder and were sent to life in prison. Fletcher was never convicted in a connection with the massacre at the time. The Detroit Police Chief of, De- of Detectives, James E. McCart- McCarty, said the convictions broke the back of once-powerful purple gang and led 
to more than five years of of um jump off my shit of arrogance. arrogance and terrorism. As the time progressed, following the con- following the conviction of three high-ranking member gang members, the Purple Gang began to collapse. It became sloppy, and eventually, large egos and inter-gang rivalries brought it to an end. Police found it easy to connect crimes to the gang because members were leaving behind too much evidence. More and more infighting occurred with high-ranking members being killed, including A. Axler, Henry Shore, and Eddie Fletcher. Eddie Fletcher. The double murder of of Axler and Fletcher still stands as unsolved. The two high the two high ranking members were found shot to death in the back of a Chrysler in Bloomfield Hills at the corner of Telegraph and Cornson. Eventually a rival a rival Sicilian gang eliminated the once powerful purple gang by the nineteen by nineteen thirty five the purple gang Resigned over Detroit's underworld was the uh, resigned over Detroit's underworld was over. Today, in Detroit's partnership with American Mafia Crime Family, is best known as a criminal organization in the state of Michigan. An American Mafia Crime Family is best known for their organization in the state of Michigan, although the members of of uh, diminished greet, greatly. The partnership was recently known to be suspended in the death of the Teamsters' mob boss Jimmy Hoffa. Curly standing, Curly stands at about forty to fifty made members. So that's a good history. Yeah. So they were bootlegging and everything when the prohibition was going on and couldn't sell liquor and. So much alcohol in their liquor. <laughs> I think that's like the downfall of every mob is killing. It's like if there wasn't no killings, then it'd be all good. But well, that's what they basically know. So yeah. killing and extortion. Sad, but yeah. Okay, now we're gonna go on to this little crotch goblin sentencing this week. Ethan Crumbly sentencing. Teenager Ethan Crumbly was sentenced to life in prison without parole Friday for gunning down four classmates and wounding six others in a teacher at Michigan's Oxford High School in 2021. Dismissing last-minute defense pleas that Crumbly's life is salvageable, Oakland County Circuit Court Judge Kwame Rowe noted that the defendant, in his own words, told the court that it is nobody's fault but his own. Rowe said victim Justin Schilling, 17, was shot at point-blank range after being told by the defendant to get on his knees. Hannah St. Juliana, 14, was shot a second time after she was down, he said, to finish the job by shooting her again. This is an execution. This is torture. He shot most people multiple times, and as he wrote, he did this for notoriety, notoriety, and he wanted to go down as the biggest school shooter in Michigan history. Before sentencing, Crumbly told the judge, I am a really bad person. I have done terrible things that no one should ever do. Whatever the sentence had it down, he had it. I do plan to be better. Dozens of, survivor, dozens of survivors of the attacks of Oxford High School and family members of those killed delivered victim impact statements for hours before the judge handed down Crumbly's sentence. 
As their son's fate was decided on Friday, Crumbly's parents await their own criminal trial. Jennifer and James Crumbly have been charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter. They have pleaded not guilty. Crumbly's parents were denied access to attend Friday's hearing, according to court records. The parents have argued the charges have no legal justification and they should not be held responsible for their son's killings. While their son will spend the rest of his life in prison, the parents of the Oxford High School shooter are still waiting to find out if they will also serve time behind bars for the shooting. James and Jennifer Crumbly are each charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter stemming from the deadly November 30th, 2021 school shooting committing, committed by their son. James Crumbly purchased the gun used in the shooting just four days before the deadly attack, prosecutors have said. James and Jennifer will have their own trials after their own separate trials after a judge granted a request to have them separated last month. Both trials begin on January 23rd, 2024. If they are convicted, they are looking up to 15 years in prison in the state of Michigan for involuntary manslaughter. <laughs> so, yeah. That's what he get. I hope they get the same fate. Me too. It's like, how are you going to buy your kid a gun and be like, oh, well, we're not responsible. It was four days before the murder. You bought to keep your gun. And that's like, without parole? No. That's good. Now we'll go on to... Let's see what I want to do next. Why is El Rico stabbed in jail? Young Doug's trial delayed. One of the five co-defendants on trial with rapper Young Thug has been stabbed at the Fulton County Jail in Atlanta, delaying the proceedings for at least a day, authorities said. Shannon Stillwell was stabbed multiple times Sunday evening and was in stable condition. The county sheriff's office said in a news release Monday, Stillwell was stabbed by another inmate, Willie Brown, during a fight between the two men, who were housed in the same zone, the sheriff's office said. The cause of the fight wasn't known, the release said. Brown, who was arrested in July 2020, who was being held without bond, was charged with aggravated assault and possession of prohibited items in relation to Stillwell's stabbing. It wasn't immediately clear whether he had a lawyer who would commit comment on the charges. The racketeering conspiracy trial for Stillwell, Young Thug, and four others began last month after about 10 months of jury selection. Fulton County Superior Court Chief Judge Ural Glanville dismissed the jury for the day Monday morning, saying one of the defendants had a medical issue. Glanville told the jury, jurors they should return Tuesday, and we'll just see how things go at this point in time. It will, make, it will take the week as it comes. The jail has long been played by violence and other problems, and a lawyer for the sheriff's office last month told state lawmakers that inmates had fashioned weapons from broken flooring and pipes. The U.S. Department of Justice announced this year that it would be investigating detention conditions in Fulton County. So that's why I saw Rico that was there. They know what the hell going on up in there. They want each other to mess each other up. Hell, nobody crazy. Right, like you're getting, you're making weapons out of floors and pipes. Right, why is that in? Why is that in? A, it's jail. Why would that should be around for them to even have access to? It's messed up. Okay, now we're going to go on to FBG Duck. 
In their push to convict six men in the six men in the brazen killing of rapper F.E.D. Duck on the Gold Coast, federal prosecutors are relying on a cast of unsavory characters to make their case. Two gang member two gang members turned YouTubers have spared, sparred with defense attorneys and evaded questions while providing potentially crucial testimony against the old black faction of the black disciples in the murder and racketeering trial. A former member of the gang set has also taken the stand. Prosecutors are now expected to press through three of their own witnesses about their criminal backgrounds this week. I moved defense attorneys at post saying it was inappropriate. You can't put up a witness simply to impeach them. Eternal attorney Cheryl Borman argued during a conference without the jury present Monday. Meanwhile, a warrant was issued for another witness who had previously booted from the courtroom after it was revealed she was present for the proceedings. The warrant remained under sale Monday, but electronic updates to the court's online system showed that a bench warrant had been issued for a woman who is the mother of one of the defendant's children. The trial has grown into a spe spectacle that spilled out of the Dirksen Federal Courthouse and onto YouTube accounts and rap blogs that draw millions of viewers from across the globe. And centers on a lengthy gang war between Oblak and the Tugaville faction of the Gangster Disciples that was claimed by FBD Duck building Carlton Weekly. On trial are six Oblak members and associates. <clears throat> Marcus Smart, Christopher Thomas, Kenneth Roberson, Charles Liggins, and Carlos Offord, and Ralph Turpin. The testimony of Martel Trenches News Wiley and Rakeem FBG Butta Welton provided a revealing look into the world since bloggers have deep knowledge of the gang feud. But they proved Mercy Curl on the stand, alternating between angry outbursts and comical asides that bordered on mocking the court. Wilton testified that he has a child with Duck's sister and was close friends with the slain rapper but Wilton's most compelling testimony relates to the killing of his own sister, Jakira Barnes, a female gang assassin who was shot and killed in a 2014 attack that was also that also wounded Wilton. Wilton conceded in open court that King Vaughn, a superstar rapper and alleged O-Block leader, had killed his sister by standing over her and shooting her repeatedly. Vaughn's real name, Devon Bennett, later placed a bounty on Duck's head before he was killed, prosecutors say. Wilson's testimony came after he made a public statement claiming Vaughn hadn't killed his sister, something he said he did to avoid breaking the no-snitch code of the street. He changed his story after Vaughn was killed in an apparently unrelated shooting months after Duck was gunned down. As long as Vaughn was walking this earth, Wilson said, I never mentioned the man's name on no police shit. Prosecutors are now getting ready to call a new batch of witnesses with troubled backgrounds they want to highlight. All three witnesses are longtime associates of Turpin, who allegedly alerted all the other defendants that Duck was shopping on the Gold Coast on August 4, 2020. On Monday, Assistant U.S. Attorney Jason Julian said the witnesses had willingly brought up their criminal histories while discussing the case, but wouldn't prep for their testimony. That's just not the reality with these folks that we're talking about, Julian said, describing them as boring on being hostile. The dozen defense attorneys objected, saying they were going to focus on the records and called on Judge Martha Picold to block the move. Everybody here knows that it's improper to do, said Steve Greenberg, who along with Borman represents Roberson. Julian complained Greenberg previously made unfolded claims that prosecutors had acted inappropriately, calling Greenberg's behavior widely unprofessional. After telling both sides to take it easy, Picold found that the federal rules allowed prosecutors to move forward with its plan. Before Monday's proceeding, close on the test exchange, Picold made an order granting the government's motion for a material witness warrant for Tiffany Huff, Alfred's ex-girlfriend and the mother of his child. The warrant was issued to the U.S. Marshal Service but remained under seal, according to an email. 
sent through the court's online system. Huff was previously kicked out of the courtroom when officials realized he was watching from the gallery. Okay, so that's what we have for that week in the FBGDuck case. What's going on? It's a, it's a damn circus. That's what it looks like. It's a damn circus. That's and all it is. From what we've been seeing, you know, Turpin is the one that's really... It's jealousy, lies, and betrayal. Yeah. That's all it is. It's like a damn soap opera. And then you got witnesses watching. A witness is not supposed to be in court while other people are testifying. Like, yeah. So it's it's just that gives them opportunity to tell somebody who's this and that and this and that and this. So I don't mm-hmm. know, sloppy. And this this is just it's way out be again. A federal thing is sloppy as hell. So hopefully something comes about. Somebody it. gotta go down. Yeah. They know that much. It would be all, all six. Who knows? But and then in our next episode, we're gonna talk about like what the hell is going on in there, like why it's a nut nutcase. Because we don't have enough time on this one. But you know, I think that's all we got for this show today. Is there anything you want to say? Y'all have a blessed day. Thank y'all for supporting and we keep going for y'all y'all have a good blessed day and keep supporting we love you guys and i just wanted to say be safe out there because people driving and shit for the holidays and the stores are crazy so and i just want to say thank you to all our listeners we really appreciate you if you like what you hear please don't forget to subscribe like follow and comment you're also available on the following platforms amazon music spotify google Podcasts, youtube and more our Facebook page is Diversity in D. Our email is diversityind at gmail.com, but it's spelled D-I-B-E-R-C-I-T-Y-I-N-T-H-E-D. Thanks again to our listeners. Without you, there's no us. We are now on Instagram at Diversity in the D. You guys have a, a safe week.